So leaders and managers often find themselves functioning as first-line supervisors. And in this capacity, they must be aware of the performance standards that apply to their assigned tasks or the objectives they're trying to meet. There's no use walking around supervising if you don't even know what you're supposed to be expecting to see or to measure. A standard is a basis by which you can compare your team's performance against the performance level expected, such as in regulations, codes, and personal values. Many standards are defined for us. For example, there are technical or performance standards, such as technical or lab specifications, minimum passing scores on certification exams, or the time span allowed for the completion of a test. Occasionally, we get to establish our own standards for performance, what is often called personal standards. For example, you may get to decide if your car is clean enough or if a job is good enough or determining what doing something the right way looks like. Whatever the standard, true professionals make every effort possible to establish high standards for their teams while influencing them to exceed those minimum standards. Let's take some time today to explore the topics of standards a little bit more. It's my pleasure to welcome my rather anonymous guest. He's a 19-year active-duty U.S. Navy Senior Chief qualified in submarines, and he has served in a variety of divisional and departmental LCPO positions. He is qualified as a Master Training Specialist and currently serves as a Food Service Officer on a Flagstaff. He is also the creator and host of the Don't Give Up the Ship podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on the Cutlass podcast today. How are things going? I'm doing great, man. Uh, I'm like... I'm I'm pumped to be here. Number one, we've been we've been chasing each other back and forth for a while as I kind of worked through my recovery from medical stuff. Glad to finally be doing this. Um, all right, good. So yeah, it is. Uh, it's good to finally catch up. Yeah. Like I said, I appreciate all your help. When, um, you were one of the podcasts I listened to and kind of got inspired by. And then I know I reached out to you. This whole topic of standards was one of the first podcasts I heard of yours, but uh, I, th- I think you made it back in August of 2019. It was titled Spin the Yarn Standards. I think it's about episode yep. 30 or so, and it really connected with me because I'm like, man, this guy's talking standards, and he's kind of hit on some of the things that uh, I had talked about and written about. So let's talk about standards a bit. What brought those to your attention? Why did you end up doing a podcast on them? And then why do you think they're so important for leaders to do? Well, so what got it spun up in my head was I, I'm a very, uh, I, I react to things as they happen a lot because I, they're fresh in my mind and the emotions kind of there and it gets me fired up and I, I want to talk about it. And that's what kind of gets my gears turning. And so I was on the boat one day and, uh, I was just about to transfer to my current job and they were having issues, uh, with a bunch of things that they felt like procedural compliance wasn't where it needed to be. And they felt like professionalism wasn't where it needed to be. And just a bunch of other things that uh, between the CO and the CMC and the chiefs and everybody, they were discussing like, hey, we're having all these issues. What's going on? And I came into work one morning and there was this bizarre list of things that apparently was like a, one of my favorite things is band-aids on bullet holes. And it's like, yeah. they, they were putting a band-aid on a bullet hole of like, like, hey, we're going to post this. It was like uh, the ship name and then like the list of, I forget what exactly what it said, but it was basically like standards. And But it, it was one of the things listed of the 10 or 12 things on this list was uh, like maintain the standard. And I, as I was reading it, I was just like, I started laughing to myself almost in frustration, just like, like, what does that mean? And it's just like this generic thing that we, that we like to say as leaders where it's like a chief or an officer or whoever, some type of leader is standing in front of a group of people or having an interaction of some kind with a sailor saying, like, maintain the standard, or why didn't you meet the standard, or we're all about the standards, 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 right? You hear it a ton during the chief season. Yep. But we don't spend a lot of time talking about what it actually means. And, and it's almost like pointing at this vague, ambiguous gray area and saying, like, maintain the standard or adhere to the standards. Like, that, that word means something that we kind of all innately know, but it's not specific or and it's not detail-oriented and I can't apply it to different areas and things. And so it's like, well, what does that mean to that sailor that you're talking to? Do they understand what it is? Were they trained on it? Was it communicated to them? Did you hold them accountable to it over time? Is the group held accountable to it over time? Yeah, it just got me spun up that day. And that's where I came home and uh, spun up my setup and started talking. That's what triggered me to, to kind of really do that deep dive into it. Now I'm with you, right? So that's one of the reasons, uh, well, not the reasons, but one of the approaches I take is this kind of, you know, you throw out words have meaning. We throw words out a lot. We throw mantras out. You know, I mean, this yeah. thing about 
maintaining the standards is even in the Chief Petty Officer's Creed, right? Maintain these standards. Right. But, you know, there's a kind of framework to them that I developed that I'll talk about. You know, one thing I think that standards actually do, if you, you know, I define the word in the beginning, but I think what they really do is they help you achieve predictable and safe outcomes, right? Yeah. You know, there's some organizational learning that goes into them and they set some minimum criteria per se for evolutions or personal performance and things like that for a variety of reasons, right? And I know on your podcast, you talk, you know, anything from a uniform appearance all the way to, to, you know, parameters we use to operate the propulsion plant. But I think they right. also help you measure effectiveness from a managerial perspective. I, I think they help you achieve, achieve some level of efficiency, if that makes sense. I heard your podcast. I'd written about this in the framework I kind of came up with, and I don't know what got me thinking about it. I can't even remember, but I probably did the same thing you did. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about – everyone's talking about standards, so I like to put things into frameworks. And it resonates again with what you said. So my five steps were – Number one, you got to know and define standards, right? So if, if you're not the person defining them, and as we know, in many cases, standards are already defined for us in our profession or our job. Uh, but there are right. times when you're going to create your own personal standards, like I mentioned, of good enough or what right looks like. But once you've got those defined and known, then you got to communicate them. And then once you've communicated and people start to execute, then you got to enforce, right? So this is the kind of controlling function of management or the management by walking around as you're seeing what people are doing in comparison to the standard you've, you've set, some people exceed that standard. So that, those are the people I want to use reward power and start to reward. Some people are meeting the standard and, okay, that's great. You're going to get a paycheck and benefits. And then some people yeah. fall short. And then I'm going to come in and I'm going to use positive and negative discipline to adjust that behavior. And then the last right. thing I always had was feedback mechanism. And I know you talked a lot about that. So I want to go through each one of those um, with you and get your perspectives and bounce off uh, your philosophies. So let's start with the importance of knowing and defining standards. So what's your take and your, your perspective on that? It's interesting that like, so we're talking about knowing and defining. And I think, I think that those are almost two different things. And like defining them is probably going to fall more into communicating them. than like, the reason I say that is I spend a lot of time with people reaching out to the podcast platform, asking me to define a standard for them. Okay. And what they really mean is like, I, I, I'm looking at a book and I see these words, but I don't really understand the intent. I don't really grasp why this is written in this book. Right. And so I spend a lot of time defining them in a way that this junior sailor can understand. And I would say that that probably would even kind of lean more towards the communication part of it. Okay. As far as the definition of them in general, man, I think you start with being very, very aware of what the standards are via whatever mechanisms the Navy communicates them to us or your command or whatever. There's going to be a lot of mechanisms to stay abreast of what's going on, whether it's going to NPC and reviewing the new rev of whatever instruction applies to whatever program that applies to you or your TICOM instructions or your procedures or the new revs to your, your maintenance standards or whatever. Yep. Like leveraging all the resources that you possibly can to stay as up to date as humanly possible. My understanding, your understanding, the senior officer's understanding of the definition of the standards, big Navy program level stuff is like the, like step one. Yep. Uh, even, even the kind of stuff that's in my books, like the food service specific stuff, sanitation stuff, it's like I got to be as up as possible on all that stuff. Cause if I'm not, how can I define those standards when I get those questions when I'm leading a group of people towards a common goal, I, I need to say, hey, this is what it is. We're all human. We're not going to catch everything. And there's so much information coming out all the time. But I spend a lot of time sitting there reading silly documents that, and people come peer over my shoulder and say, why are you reading that? And that's why. Like, yeah. I want to stay as up as I possibly can for the sailors that you're leading. Because saying, and submariners are famous for this, saying, go look in the book, go look it up in the book. Like, okay, so now they know that there is a standard. They know it exists, but when they go read that technical document or institutional instruction or nav admin or whatever, they're not necessarily going to fully understand what those words intent are. Like, yeah. why did somebody write those words in that instruction? And like, what is the, what is the end state they're trying to accomplish? It might take a guy like me or you to sit down and, and get the crayons out and walk them through that process. Because I've already experienced it and I've walked a whole bunch of people through it before, so I already know all the pitfalls, so I can yep. help you navigate that process. 
So knowing is important, right? So that gets into expert power and information power base. It's important to have access to information, but it's also important to keep up, you know, because that information will give you updates on the standards and the things that are changing that you've mentioned. But then it's important for leaders to have that time built into their personal schedules to stay up on that. I don't know how well we do that, right? Do we make the time in our personal schedules when we're figuring our time management schedules to put time for reading, right? It's not just reading books and novels. It's reading the stuff that we have to know, you know, to maintain our expert power. I'm sorry. I get fired up about that stuff a lot. It's like the podcast platform, just the necessity of it, it, like it's assisted me and made me more curious and motivates me to go seek out knowledge that I might not have had I just been focused on culinary special stuff. Right. But So standards are relative, right? So we talk, I think, a lot of times about standards as a leader looking down, right? Like, hey, making our people comply to them, and we'll talk about that. But your people right. have standard expectations for you too, right? And they yeah. might not be defined, but in their mind – they have an expectation that if we're going to say ask the chief or, hey, this is my boss, you know, they, they have an expectation of you know a lot of stuff that I don't know and you have experience and I can go to you and ask questions and unwritten expectation that you stay up to date on things that are going on because if I need help, I'm going to come to you as a resource. Even if that means I leverage my, my network of resources to find them the answer, if I don't know exactly where to look or okay. I don't know it off the top of my head, I better know how to find it. These sailors, the end user of our leadership, are absolutely entitled to the best chief you can possibly be, yep. the best chief you have in you. And these standards are defined, I think, you know, for a couple of reasons. So one part, I think, is a risk management component, right? Hey, like you know, right? So let's go to food service, right? There's a cleanliness standard or a criteria. That's another word I think we could use right. for a reason, right? Because if we don't right. meet that, we know that, you know, you can cause yeah, food to get – foodborne illness, right? Yes, yeah, foodborne illness. Down. Yep. Crew gets sick, and then you know it translates into other stuff. For nuclear power, there were standards for operating and parameters to operate the propulsion plant because you know reactor safety dictated that. So I think that's one yeah. part of it that we communicate right, and those things have been probably earned in blood. But then there's another part that gets into personal values. So when you're defining standards, you know I might value standards in education for a reason, right? Because I want excellence out of my kids or out of my team. So I think there's a a personal value piece as well. What do you think about that? Yeah. And I think the interesting part of getting into communicating standards and then probably later in accountability, you have to navigate that to figure out how you're going to effectively communicate it so they understand and then get them to actually do it and exercise accountability to, to make sure they do it or correct that if they're not. So there's like a, there somebody's value system and context figures into every single thing that happens during leadership interactions. Like I've never, I've often argued against the concept of a leadership style. I've had conversations with people where they're like, well, this is my leadership style. I'm like, okay, well, your leadership style is only going to work for 60%, 70% of people. Like even if you're doing it really well and there's a, there's a like spectrum where you're flexible within that style to certain people's personalities. It's like, you need to tailor make your leadership approach and your your communication with that sailor to get them to do what you need them to do to that individual sailor. Yeah. Like everybody's different. Everybody's motivated by something differently. Everybody has a different context, growing up differently, like different religions, backgrounds, places they hail from, everything. And it it all molds their value system and how they believe and interpret things. And so like when I'm when I'm saying, hey, the standard is we're gonna do this thing. Ten different people just heard ten different things. You so then it. I have to figure out how they interpreted that and how their value systems and beliefs shape how they're going to react to what I just communicated to them. And then I have to go like try to try to shape that communication to make sure that that sailor walks away with the understanding that I need them to have, so that that standard is met. The organization's all on the same page, and we're all marching towards the same goal. And then. You know, but I, I think that it definitely affects it. It affects everything, not oh. just the communication standards, but just every leadership interaction you're ever going to have. Yeah, I'm with you. I remember uh, first CMC tour, I went in, you know, one day I was frustrated with standards and I went in and talked to my CEO and we were just talking back and forth. And he's like, you know what, Paul, they're not all you, right? So that was a huge thing. Like, yeah. hey, I had a standard in my head to find, but 
again, there's a standard expectation criteria, whatever you call it. Right. Just based on what I thought was realistic, you got to kind of, like you said, you got to consider the fact that everyone's different. We all are shaped by different values yeah. and expectations. And frankly, skills and abilities too. So, all right, let's roll into this communicating standard. So I'm like, all right, hey, let's kind of assume we know a standard, we understand it, or we've defined our personal standard for our team or we have family, whatever it is. So now how do you communicate it? I spend the most time here because I feel like the defining it kind of like I, I, I step back and forth between those two, trying to make sure they walk away with the understanding of the intent. And, and that's the biggest thing for me is the intent of the instruction, the intent of the standard, the intent of whatever is like, what, it, why not? What is, what do the words say? Like, what do the, what do they mean by that? Like, yeah. And I and I'm I'm not saying like as an inspector, right? I, I get into conversations with people about like my interpretation of an instruction, and, and I don't mean like I'm interpreting it to mean something different than what the normal intent was. I mean there's a reason why somebody thought that was important enough to write it down on a, in, in a book. What was that reason? If it's not obvious from the words that you just read, and so I spent a lot of time with each individual communicating to them. Hey, this is what that meant. Like, this is what they're trying to accomplish. The reason why somebody took the time to write those words in a book, they're written in blood. We say that a lot on submarines. The the procedures and safety measures we have in place is because somebody got gravely injured or killed because we didn't have that before. So now we have that. And that's why we, that's why we do that. And you tell them those stories and you share those lessons learned. And we spend a ton of time training and educating on those things so that we prevent those things from ever happening again. Yeah. And then I think another big piece of it is when we're communicating standards is making sure that sailors understand to link those things together is to get, is, is to spend time training on it. Right. Yeah. And, and I say that figuratively and literally, cause like I, I told a story during that standards episode where if I, I know I effectively communicated that I had high standards, right? Like, yeah. and one of the standards that I communicated was what you mentioned earlier, that the galley will be clean. I had really high sanitation standards as, as a young uh, chief. Yeah. And I told them that, so they knew that, right? And then I went into the galley and would inspect it and and hold them accountable and just be like, why is the galley not clean, blah, blah, blah. But I consistently struggled with getting them to actually maintain that standard. I finally lost it one day and was like, all right, everybody, go get everybody out of the rack. Everybody get in the galley. We're going to clean until we're at where my bar is. And then we're going to keep it there. So I get everybody in there and I'm like, okay, go, like start cleaning and we, when I saw them start cleaning, I am like was punched in the face with the fact that I had not taught them how to do it effectively. Yeah. Like I had not trained them to actually execute that standard. Like I took the time to tell them, Hey, I have the standard. I communicated exactly what that standard was. I would go in there and be like, and show them, look, this is greasy and dirty and whatever. And this is a problem. This can't be like this. But I didn't spend any time. I just took for granted the fact that these sailors who had no professional food service experience for the most part understood what clean meant and understood how to, how to affect that. Yeah. And, and when I went in there and watched them start cleaning, I was like, Oh my God, what are you doing? Like I, and then I clearly had not effectively trained them. And so it's like, I rolled up my sleeves and, and got the buckets and the hot soapy and the greenies and all the things yeah. and, uh, and went about showing them what, what methods work best and, and how you actually affect that standard. And so I think there's a lot of times where we miss that step where it's like, well, I communicated to them what it was and how to do that. I'm like, okay, but did you train them? Like, did yeah. you actually show them how to do it? Yes. Uh, and I think that's a big part of communicating the standard is if like, it's the first question I would ask when I would have a watch standing issue is okay. Are they full? Are they qualified? Did they go through all the things and they're qualified to watch station? Okay, great. Did we effectively train them on whatever that they didn't do correctly? Like, did they know how to take those logs? Did they understand the value they were entering in that box and what it meant and what the log entry they made in the back explaining it or not explaining it meant and why that was important? Or are they completely clueless? Because then it's a training deficiency. And I didn't do my job as a leader teaching them how to do that thing. Like I said, I went through that personal experience where I felt like an idiot. I was standing there in front of this group of people that I had been consistently negatively hold it like holding accountable with negative reinforcement where I was going in there and I was just like pulling chunks of my hair out. Like, why are you not doing what I'm telling you to do? And based on my 
like leadership maturity level at the time, they were afraid to tell me yeah. that they didn't know how to give me what I was asking them for. And, and so that's a huge part of communicating it is actually teaching them. So that's why the, the five steps wasn't like, hey, do these things. The five steps was more based on if as a leader, your teams are falling short or if people are falling short, the first thing right. to reflect on is yourself, right? So the five steps was meant yeah. like, okay, do I know the standard? Have I defined it in my head? Do I understand why and how to get to it? Have I communicated right. it through all the different vehicles, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And then the other point that you bring up, it's so important, right? Educating on the why and the how, but I could also go, right? There's probably like a who, what, where, when, how part of defining and communicating yeah. a standard too. How yeah. many people are out there not getting the results they want and you immediately blast down your people and start going into some kind of negative reinforcement, right? This is where you lose trust in your teams, right? And they're like, what the heck, yeah. senior or chief or you know, supervisor? I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing because no one's taking the time to show me and introduce right. me to what right is and what it looks like. So I think that's huge important. So what are the mechanisms of communication? We talked about some. So when I think about it, you said, you know, you got education and training type forums, right? So it's not just classroom training, Right. It's, it's example, it's hands-on demonstrations, that kind of stuff. You got briefs, right? We're familiar with that. So in operating a nuclear yeah. power plant, we, you know, before doing a reactor startup or some kind of evolution, we'd huddle the team together, do a brief, cover down on the standards, not just of, of what the end state looks like, but standards of communication, you know, um, a variety of things, violation points and things like that. Like in your podcast, you mentioned, right? You communicate via email and bulletins and night orders and things like that. And then your personal example as right. well. Um, any additional thoughts on that? Just that there's not really a such thing as too much. You just can't ever stop. It's like you can't think you've arrived. You can't think that once they start performing at the level you want for a period of time, that that's not going to fall off. It's like you, you have a constant turnover of personnel by design. You have a constant change in environment and mission set and everything. And, and especially in my environment, we have a ton of transient personnel with temporarily assigned food service tenants and everything else. So it's like you can never, ever, ever stop using every mechanism that you have at your disposal to make sure that everybody understands what's going on. And one of the more valuable ones, and I think a lot of people probably do this, is some form of like group text because no matter how much we complain about it on the command climate survey about how leadership can't communicate things down and plan changes every five seconds, that's kind of the nature of what we do, right? Things are going to change. Uh, things are going to break. The ship's not going to get underway the day we think. Then we're going to, or maybe they need us to get underway earlier or whatever, right? There's going to be things that come up that cause the plan to flex, no matter how well we plan and communicate. And so I feel like there's mechanisms like that to when the, when the plan does change and the discomfort that comes along with it does, at least I can make sure everybody knows at, like as it's happening. So if I walk off the ship last, which is generally the case, and they revise the plan of the day and now Liberty expires later because they want to give the crew some rest, I don't want my guys showing up at normal Liberty expiration because then yeah. they don't get that rest and they're upset that they showed up early for yes. no reason. So it's like a, there's a lot of mechanisms out there to make sure that the word is getting out. And I think we need to be constantly leveraging every single one of them all the time. Yeah. So I think there's two things, right, to your point about um, frequent communication and not buying into the trap of assuming like, oh, my team knows this, right? So two things, right? right. So on the senior end, right, the risk is complacency. Oh, you've told me enough. You start taking things and rules and standards for granted or you get complacent. Right. And then you introduce risk. And on the lower end, to your yeah. point, right, as you turn over and you bring new people in the organization, you bring in inexperience. So there's the need to recommunicate standards and the reason why. So, you know, there's no over communicating. But again, you know, as a leader or manager, if you're thinking about, hey, if I've got a certain thing I want to communicate, I think it's important to create like a maintenance schedule of communication, right? Like, hey, every once a quarter, I need to reemphasize this. So I love that point you made about. Don't worry about over-communicating. All right. Let's get into, uh, I guess I would call it enforcement. D-Guts has gone out. He knows what he wants. He, he knows the standards for his galley and his cleanliness and food quality. You've taken time to train and educate. You've showed the example. What's your thoughts on the important of enforcement to standards? I don't spend a lot of time on negative reinforcement. Okay. Uh, I don't. I think it's almost never necessary. Uh, generally when it, when you see it become necessary, it's at some point I probably failed that person as a leader, right? And okay. so it's like, 
there's a personal level of accountability that always comes into play because that adult human is making choices, no matter how good of a leader I am and, and how much resources and time I, I pour into that individual. They're making choices, but I still fault myself if I can't figure it out. So if I arrive at negative accountability, I, I feel like I failed somewhere. But yeah. the mechanisms of accountability I try to exercise are uh, just like a leadership by example style of kind of peer pressure almost like okay. if everybody else is doing it you know so i try to i try to show them a lot of the times like if i had the bandwidth in between meals or during a meal i would stand in the galley and clean something okay and it was so the crew could see me doing it it was so the division could see me doing it or i would serve the line like i i'd, I'd get on the serving line and serve the crew food it, it's just so that they can see that i'm not above anything like I, i'm not telling them to do anything that i don't think that they should that i wouldn't do myself like uh, it's not, I'm not creating unrealistic expectations. It's all stuff like that. When we were working up for our inspection, I was in there elbow deep in the ventilation cleaning with everybody else. Yeah. I don't have to do that. Right. I could very easily stand there and drink a cup of coffee and I don't even think anybody would really fault me for it except for the people that were sitting there looking at me kind of rolling their eyes. Right. Yeah. Like the junior sailors that were like, uh, like, what are you even here for? So there's a point um, to that with supervision and monitoring. That's what I think that initially gets into, right. Is, where do you want to be? When do you want to be there? And why right. are you there? Right. And there's different ways, right? Like you said, we could do the standard, hey, the chief stand there with a coffee cup just watching, right? Because again, right. this is kind of, you got to watch to see if people have internalized and really understand, right? So if, do the actions meet the intent to meet the standard? Right. So some of it is, yeah, some of it's standing back and watching, right? Um, yeah, for sure. It's It, it was calculated. Those, yep. those moments were calculated because I, I also understood from experience that I could not get mired down in like the day-to-day details and, and tr- basically try to be doing it myself because then I'm going to miss all these other things. And yeah. I, I'm only one person. I can't do everything. That's what I have an LPO for. That's what I have you know, my junior guys for. I, I can't be involved in cleaning the ventilation every day. Yeah. But those moments were very calculated. I, I had a leader program into me that I should consistently be asking myself, where do I need to be the most right now Right in this moment? Like based on what's going on in our schedule, what the division and department are doing, what the ship is doing, where is my presence needed the most? Like where, if something went horribly wrong right now, would I be in the right place? Or would that be part of like the incident report is that this guy was in the wrong place, focused on the wrong priority. Yeah. I, that was, that was kind of how I, I did that flow chart in my head. It was like, if, if, if we're working up for an inspection, and this inspection, like if we do poorly on it, it's going to hurt my guys. Like it's going to hurt my division. They're going to be told that they're below standards. That then the most important place for me to be is in that galley with my elbow up the ventilation. But like yes. it, on a normal Tuesday when we're underway on nuclear power and I got records and admin and watch standing and collateral duties and all these other, it's like, where should I be? Should I be cleaning the ventilation or should I be auditing records and training my guys, doing the other 10 million things that I have on my plate that are all priorities? You got to balance it. But those moments were definitely very calculated because I don't, I I think you lose a lot when you're not detached and removed from the nitty gritty so that you're able to see the big picture and you're able to see what's going on and point out to people like, Hey, you gotta, you know, you gotta, uh, obstacle coming up here that I don't think you see, you know what I mean? Yeah. And this concept of standards also enables delegation, right? Because this is aligned, yeah. right? When you have the standard, this, this is a way that enables you to be able to delegate with some sense of confidence that I do have other things to do, right? So I'm a, if I'm a middle level manager or frontline, sure. you know, kind of supervisor foreman, right? There's a planning aspect, right? And a lot of what we're talking about really gets into the management function, believe it or not. You know, but, you know, I need time to be planning for the next thing that's six to nine months out, but I've delegated down to different people that I've validated that they have competence and character to do these things to the standards. Yeah. As long as I've done that right, I have a sense of confidence that I can let that go. They're going to perform that task to standard without me having to be hands on. But at the same time, there's some events, as you know, and some things that are so important that even though I've delegated, the risk of cost or the risk of outcome is so severe that I need to personally be there and see those yeah. things. So it's a it really is a balancing yeah, and act. I, and I think that delegation is like it's more like almost like involvement, right? In the even the development of standards, like the stuff that I'm creating within my division and department, 
I want them intimately involved with the development of that, where I got, I got to the point where it was like feedback wasn't good enough for me. Like, like, why don't I just involve you like ahead of developing this new standard or or policy or or process so that you're like, as we're creating this, it's almost like inception. Like it's your idea. Like I want you to come up with the process of how we're going to get from A to B. I'm telling you, Based on policy, instruction, ship schedule, whatever, we have to get from here to here. How how do you want to do it? Yep. And, and I just make sure they're coloring inside the lines of, of all the other policies and standards and everything else. But when we're developing something, it's like I want them, I want their fingerprints all over it. Yep. So that when we get to the, the end state where it's like, okay, uh, we're going to go communicate and train on and, and affect this standard, you you've effectively delegated the development of that standard to them. So now you've also delegated the communication and training and everything else. So when you get new people in the division or when you get uh, temporarily assigned uh, people working for you, yeah. they're going to self-correct. They're going to yeah. have peer to peer enforcement all over the place because it's not, it wasn't my idea. It was their idea. Yes. Their process. And they're they bought into things it. Run yes. That way. Yep. Yeah. I'm with you. So another part, like I said, so this kind of supervision monitoring piece. Um, so some of it's up front. Uh, and I don't mean to be sinister or, or you know, non-genuine as a leader or inauthentic, but there were times when I would watch my maintenance teams without them knowing I was there, right? Because that's when you see the yeah. real, right? Like, okay, right. there's a difference between, <laughs> hey, we know Naval Reactors reps going to be in the plant, right? And that's why, frankly, most of the time their stuff was unannounced, right? Because they want to see what was really going on. So as a supervisor, right. when you're in this monitoring, supervising function, you know, certain things you have to have a visible presence, other times, if you really want to see what your people are doing, try to find that space where you can watch what they're doing without necessarily being there. And then you can see if they're at standards or not, which leads me to the next thing. Um, now we get into – now I see behavior that's either at, above, or below the standards, right? And as a leader, I I clearly want to have at least behavior to the standards. But when I go above the standards, then I want to kick into reward power, right? We probably don't need to talk in depth. Yeah. I did a whole thing on that, right? So praising the team and kind of doing all these different yeah. things and knowing reward power tools. If listeners aren't familiar with that, go back and listen to the episode. But this is a point where you would link back and go, okay, my people are doing well above what I designed them to do or expected them to do. I'm going to come in with some reward power. But let's get into when people are falling short a bit, right? And then we have to get into discipline, yeah. We do that first check, right? And go, okay, did I communicate? Did I do my kind of things? If I feel good there and I feel, hey, this person's just detached for some reason or distracted, what's your advice there? I, I don't believe for a second that any sailor comes to work with the intent to suck. Like, I, I just don't yeah. think that's a real thing. There's something or someone or whatever, like some circumstances that led to, you know, yeah. like how did they get to a point where they're distracted, where they are not in a mental headspace to uh, maintain a standard or to meet the standard or whatever, right? Yep. There's always something. And it's not that they think the standard is stupid generally. Like yes. that's very easily correctable a lot of the time with a disappointed dad talking some training. Yeah. The, the stuff where a sailor is like completely off the reservation is there's something else going on there. And so it's just a, you kind of get into this like emotionally intelligent forensic style of leadership. Like I I try to go down the road of peeling back the layers while being sensitive to what they may or may not have going on and what they're comfortable telling me. And maybe I'm the person they need to be talking to, or maybe they need to be talking to somebody else to get the, so the conversation that needs to happen happens. And then they end up getting whatever resources and help that they need. But I did invest a lot of time and effort, even though I wasn't always the person they needed to be talking to, to creating an environment where they trusted me enough to come grab me and say, hey, you know, senior, I got this thing going on, blah, blah, blah. Um, There were times where I kind of recognized they needed a peer to talk to, so I'd send in my LPO or I'd send in somebody else that I had established that type of a relationship with that was high performing and didn't have any problems right the second say, hey, go in there and talk to this, you know, Seaman Timmy and figure out what's going on. Uh, and then come tell me if I need to get more involved. There were other times where they needed uh, some other type of support, but it was generally that step one is I'm like, okay, why are they not doing what they should be doing? Why are they distracted? Why are they overtly bucking the standard? And, and I try to try to explore that and get that type of an answer and then figure out like, 
what the actual root cause is because I'm not adhering to that standard the way I want them to as a symptom of a bigger problem. I'm with you. Um, so I remember back in the day when I was on my first aircraft carrier, um, the second yeah. reactor officer there was then Commander Ferguson, who would then end up being Admiral Ferguson. And he told us, right, you know, there's usually when something goes wrong in the propulsion plant, we do a incident report and you kind of nail it down to one of four different areas, right? So is it a training area? Is it a lack of resources? Is it material or is it personnel, right? Um, Yeah, I've sat through a bunch of critiques. (laughs) Yes, fun, right? Not so much. Yeah, super Um, fun. But when you get into the personal side, like you said, right? So backing up as a supervisor, right? Hey, did I give them, right? That's a leadership failure, right? So if they're not properly trained and educated on the leader, if they don't have the resources they needed on the leader, if it's a material failure, take that back in the manufacturing process somewhere. But when it gets to personal, right. then it gets into, I, I don't like that sometimes there's a default to this blame the worker mindset that you hear. Like, obviously they were screwed up because, you know, I did everything yeah. I was supposed to do. But this gets into Maslow's hierarchy, right? Things are going on that distract people. This is that episode you talked to, right, yep. recently about dig deeper, right? And it keyed off the, yeah. it, it's kind of interesting, right? So I did a podcast, you played off it. Now I'm going to play back onto the dig deeper one. <laughs> but Seriously, yeah. it's I didn't have time to go into that, but taking time to understand what is going on, right? What you know, is it a financial issue that's driven you down and got you misfocused? You know, people are going through divorces, they're going through personal problems, people die, you know. There's a lot of things that distract people yeah, that sure. play out in a lack of standards. And very rarely, to your point, is it insidious kind of behavior where you have to shift to more negative discipline kind of stuff. So I do feel like that that when you get into like examining whether or not is that it, it is that type of insidious type of behavior. I almost never believe that that's the case. And it's, it, I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it, it's, it's like, I feel like when you get to the point where it, it could even qualify for that, it's like, okay, how long has this person's like the answer to the question? Why? Like, why are they doing these things? Yep how long has that problem been festering? Yes. You know, like how, how infected is that wound yep. that it, that it led them to that type of decision-making process? Yep. Because again, it's like, I just, it's a cycle for me where I, I always loop back to that kid. Didn't join the Navy to suck. He didn't show up to the ship to suck. Something happened along the way that led them to where they are now. How did that happen? And, and almost universally, you can find a leadership failure along the way. And that's why I kind of default back to that too. I struggle to get leadership to take the accountability that they should be taking yep. instead. Like the critiques I've sat at, it seems to mostly be blame the worker. And yep. I have a gigantic problem with that because your your worker not being properly trained and educated is the leader's fault. Absolutely. It's not the worker's fault. And I so, agree. Yeah. And then it gets into, again, right? So we talk leadership, but I, you know, back into my kind of belief, I replace leader with influence, right? So your inability to influence yeah. the value and belief system, right? So there are an occasional person that comes in. It's just like F the Navy, you know, nothing you can do, right? This, you know, not everyone can, can handle that level of service, right? And that level of responsibility. They say things and they represent that attitude every day to leadership, right? And if you don't take that opportunity to pull them to the side, sit down, dig deeper and get to know and and maybe just a simple conversation, you can change that mindset and take take someone to a different place. So I've encountered too many of those quote unquote lost causes that a little emotional intelligence and and just attention and caring turn them around faster than anybody thought was possible. And it's like you're just treating them like a human being and, and having taking the time to have a human relationship with them. Yep. A lot of the time that will get whatever answer you need so that you can then provide them whatever they need to turn it around and be a valuable contributing member of the team. And Absolutely. it drives me nuts that yep. we don't spend more time on that. Hey, for those that want to know, you know, we talked a little bit about positive negative discipline in a prior episode. So I'm not going to go into those tools specifically, but again, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. When you fall short, start out. The, the point is, you don't go to the hammer right away. You start out with coaching. You start right, out right. with you know performance feedback. I, all these kind of different tools. You know, for the most extreme cases where it's criminal behavior, which is is not norm. Right, then you go into punishment right. and these other things. So, all right, let's get into this feedback concept because you were big with this on your podcast. The importance of feedback. When it when do you do that? Because you were big on front loading feedback. And then when to account for that feedback and let's talk about when we need to adjust standards perhaps. So uh, over to you on feedback. 
I, I'm a big fan of front-loading the feedback in the planning process, but I, I also understand that there are seldom, if any, things I've ever done that I've gotten right the first time, yeah. like, just nailed it perfectly. So it's the the, mech, the the need for the mechanism of feedback after the standard's already in place or the process or whatever, it's never going to go away. But I, I think that you save yourself a lot of pain uh, and rework if you front load as much of it as possible. And that the way that I do that is by just involving the sailors that are going to be respo- primarily responsible for executing that standard in, in the planning process. Yeah. Like if we're going to create a standard, it's like, and I'm going to, I'm going to apply that standard to this group of people or this process or whatever. Uh, I want to involve them, even if that's a command level policy, then the command triad involves everybody in the, in the process of planning uh, and then the feedback process as well. And that's one of the, the things I learned my last submarine. I spent a lot of time standing in for the cop. We'd be coming up with some kind of a plan for, you know, like birthing or a cleanup plan or some kind of change to the watch core station bill for damage control or whatever. And we sit in the chief's mess brainstorming the, this change and we come up with what we thought was the most brilliant plan ever. <laughs> and then that's where it would stop. And I'm just like, no, no, that's not where this is going to And I yeah. grab it off the printer walk out to the most vocal second class I could find and say, Hey, this is a proposed plan. Start poking holes in it. Tell me what we're missing. What, like when we actually apply this in real life, what are you going to be standing there talking about us screwing up? Or what are you going to use as ammunition to call us big idiots? So one of the feedback points is right. Some people, you know, are too quick to dismiss that kind of input into the standards, right? And that's yes. that's not good, right? Yes. Just because you have position no. and experience, I got it. But open that aperture, that team buy-in, right? And I think it gets to so if we go through this kind of thing, all right, we defined, we communicated, we executed, you know, we we rewarded or we held accountable. And then you huddle the team and go, okay. Now we're going to talk about can we take it to a higher level, right? And then you huddle the right. team, right? That's that kind of feedback. And once you buy the team into the standard, now you all have aligned to that same standard. And I think it unleashes a dynamic, right? But when it just happens to be, well, I'm going to create all the standards all the time and you just put people yep. back down just yep. because maybe they don't have – you basically discount – you know, and I'm going to say diversity, not from, you know, demographics, but I'm talking diversity of experience, diversity of thought, education. If you don't leverage that diversity in the team towards the feedback, towards standards, you're just never going to empower yourself to get to higher standards. Or if you try to get right. to standards, it's going to take longer to get there. Routinely, we'd be on deployment. We had a basically a virtual CO suggestion box. Okay. And it was like an email an email form. Yeah. So everybody on the ship could jump on the, the underway network and, and submit feedback. And so we would get quite a bit of feedback and, and some of it was scathing like immature reactions to things because it was they knew it was anonymous. But you also get some really frank feedback. And yep. so we would get that type of feedback and I'd be sitting in the mess and, and it the cob is reading it to us. Like, hey, we got this feedback today. And it would turn into, like, people just kind of picking it apart and making fun of it. And I'm like, no. like He was frustrated enough with what was going on that he sat down at a computer and pounded out this response to what's going on and submitted it half thinking that you could figure out if you wanted to who it was and find him and yell at him. And he did it anyway. And you're not even going to consider that feedback as anything real. You're not going to sit there and consider or at least go ask some questions and investigate like is this is this real or did this one sailor have one bad experience and it was a, it's a fluke right yeah. but one of the things that gets lost is when i have conversations like that and i yes a group of people if it's a demographic like you're talking about thinks that there's a problem with your process if they perceive that there's a problem with your process even if you're sitting there believing it's fully functional You've examined that flaw and you have determined that, no, it is, in fact, fully functional. If a large group of people perceive that it's not fully functional, they're going to behave as if it's not fully functional. And whatever problems that causes in their lives, they're going to react as if those problems are real. And if you don't deal with that because you're looking at it like, no, really, there's not a problem. And you don't do anything and there's just inaction as a result. You're going to continue to deal with those problems. It's going to develop distrust. And then either that standards or process or whatever is going to become a joke and, and unenforceable or 
uh, you're just going to lose a lot of faith and trust from that demographic of, of people yeah. because you didn't take the time to explore like, okay, maybe I don't think there's a problem, but they think that there is. And them thinking that there is, is a problem for me. Yeah. So, so I need to go either explain the process better or tell them, no, this is how it works. And this yeah. is why that. So one of two things happens, right? So you got a standard and then you get different perspectives. So one thing it might reveal is the damn standards outdated and irrelevant, right? So right, right. When, when new people come in, they should make you pause and go, yeah, why is the standard in place? Maybe the context that it was introduced in was decades old and, and it's irrelevant anymore, right? On the other hand, right. maybe it still is relevant. Hey, I got a sailor. I love the feedback because damn it, it shows you care. Maybe right. it's a coaching and learning opportunity. So you teed up an idea Hey, come alongside. Let me sit you down. That's a great idea, but let me explain why we can't adjust to that point, right? So to just reject it outright, bad leadership as far as I'm concerned, and this is where you lose trust and buy-in from your people. I agree 100%. So last point, and then we'll wrap it up. But So not all standards are equal. They all don't have the same outcomes, right? So some things I said are health and life and safety standards. Some things like perhaps uniform standards or standards of cleanliness or something else are more personal-based and value-based. So when and how should leaders make a decision to lower or ignore a standard? And what's your advice if you're going to do that? Well, I'm an intent guy, like I said earlier. So what's the intent of that standard, right? Like you said, some of them are – some of them are – life and limb. There's not going to be a conversation when I'm a topside safety supervisor and one of my line handlers puts his hands inside the eye of a line. I'm going to snatch you up right there. There's going to be zero conversation. And it's because I want you to go home with all your fingers and toes. Yeah. But when we're talking about that, when we're talking about hands and pockets, transiting out of the, the straits of wherever, and it's sub-zero temperatures and Seaman Timmy forgot his gloves. I'm topside on a submarine in transit, I don't have time to go get him a pair of gloves yeah. or figure out. Just put your hands in your pockets until you need them. And then when you're done and they're wet and cold, put them back in your pockets so they yeah. can get dry and warm. Is that a violation of an explicitly written standard? Yeah, sure it is. But is anybody going to die? Because I told right. this kid to put it. There's a, t- a time and a place where I'm 100% going to allow a sailor to do a thing that is contrary to a standard or policy that's in place because the circumstance warrants it. Yep. And I think that's why the Navy pays me more money than Seaman Timmy is Absolutely. to make that type of a determination. Yep. And I'm going to put myself in front of that kid if anybody has a problem with my decision-making process. In those situations, it's like, if I got to make a judgment like that, I'm go- number one, I'm going to make that judgment. Yeah. Seaman Timmy's not going to make that judgment. I'm going to make that judgment. And yeah. then I'm going to own that judgment all the way through. So if somebody has a problem with that, they can come find me and we'll discuss it. You know, I got it. There's rules and there's standards and, you know, they're written in blood and all that. But there's a time when, you know, I'm going to make a hard decision based on the criteria, right? I don't think you get to opt out and just go, well, hey, the standard says because I don't want to make a tough decision, no. right? But I made it very clear that if I'm adjusting and telling the team to back off a standard, I'm making that decision. This is yep. not the norm, right? So if I tell you to your point, hey, for this condition, this situation, we're going to put hands in pockets. I'm letting you know that's not the norm. Don't expect me to just roll out that all the time. I think that's the point. So you got to be yeah, a, a yeah. flexible leader who's willing to come into, and like I say on the Cutlass podcast, you got to be versatile and willing to take that risk for the team. But if you're going to take on that risk and break, you know, and, and change that standard, now you take on that risk and you have to take the accountability for that decision. I had a commanding officer that used to say that all the time that like, look, if we're not going to operate within the confines of a procedure or some kind of safety policy or whatever, that's going to be a decision I make Yes, because I'm going to be the one on the cover of the Navy Times, not you. And it's like he trusted his chiefs to come to him with those types of things and that if he went and said that's what we're doing, that like I'd be the one out there making that call essentially. But he wanted a cut on those types of things because there's times where we're war fighters, yes. man. Like we're going to be out there doing a thing and there's times where – like the GIFM's not going to allow me to get a thing done fast enough to fight the ship the way I need to fight it. You got and it. So there's going to be decisions made, and those decisions might cut some corners and and to incur more risk. Yeah, it's going to be somebody like us or the commanding officer that makes that type of a decision. Yes, absolutely. As a leader, especially in the military, you got to get comfortable in that space and yeah. get comfortable with adjusting standards. But knowing that if I do adjust them, there's a reason why I communicate to my team and they know it's yeah. not the norm, it's the exception. So 
Any last points you want to emphasize for leaders on this concept of standards or this process of getting standards? I think the biggest thing, the smartest thing I've ever done in my entire career as a naval leader is like open myself up to criticism, uh, feedback, and just humbled myself enough to just involve my sailors in the process, trust their intellect and intent as we plan out a process or develop a standard or okay. come up with a procedure or whatever. Um, and I think that what you'll find is when you allow those things to happen, you get a type of buy-in and investment from your junior sailors that you haven't seen before. And you're going to quickly find, uh, like, how did I ever live without those? Yeah. So. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm going to put in the episode description, but where can listeners learn more about your podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah. So on all the podcast platforms, Don't Come Up the Ship podcast, you can find us at dgutspodcast.com. Uh, I'm on all the social media platforms as well. Uh, Instagram and Reddit, it's just dguts podcast. You can find us. We got a sub there. I got a user account there. I'm pretty active on our Navy and all that stuff, but yeah. I'm- all right, cool. So, all right, thanks again. My guest today has been Navy Senior Chief and creator and host of the Don't Give Up the Ship podcast, my anonymous dguts uh guest <laughs> so hey thanks again for your help um the conversation your mentorship frankly as i've worked to establish and grow the cutlass podcast uh and thanks for taking some time to give these perspectives and good luck to you absolutely my pleasure man all right take care thanks again for listening to another episode of the cutlass podcast if you want to learn more about the topic we discussed today or in any other episodes check out the chief petty officer's guide or any of the other resources listed in the episode description to provide me feedback or suggest topics for future episodes, please email me at cutlassleadership at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the Cutlass Podcast on your favorite podcast channel, then like, share, and comment so you can help me get this content out and about. I'm Paul Kingsbury. Work hard to keep your leadership cutlass sharp. Reflect and improve and take what you learn to become a sturdy, versatile, incredible leader who makes a positive difference.